Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning to our online audience or our podcast audience at some point in the future. So glad that so many of you could join us. I'm always delighted when I come up onto the stage and I see how things have filled in because often when I walk in from the back of the room right at nine o'clock, it's a little sparse and then it fills in very, very nicely by the time I get up here. So as we begin this morning, I just want to do the warning you show of hands. How many of you ever watched the television show Home Improvement? Raise your hands nice and high. Okay, pretty good, pretty good, okay. Uh, if you're like Gen Z or maybe millennials, this is one you might have missed, but I grew up watching this show nightly once it got to syndication. I don't think we watched it much in prime time, but I, it was six o'clock or 6.30, I can't remember, I think it was Jeopardy and then Home Improvement, and we would often watch it together as a family, and it was a, a sitcom that showed through the 90s. It started in 91 and it went to about 99. And it followed Tim, the tool man, Taylor, played by Tim Allen, as well as his family. And he had three young sons. And I chuckle every now and then because I got four sons. And we've replayed some of the episodes of Home Improvement in our own family uh, from time to time. But Tim was the host of Tool Time, right? It was a show within a show. It was put on by a tool company, Binford, for those of you that are in for a little home improvement trivia. And uh, you remember what Tim always wanted with his tools? Anybody? Yell it out. I heard it. More power, right? He always wanted more power. And so on the show, they'd be introducing a tool or they'd be working on a project, and he would say to his co-host, Al, you know what we need? More power. And the audience would say it with him. And Al would usually say, I don't think so, Tim, because <laughs> it didn't always work out so well for Tim to have more power. He didn't always need more power, did he? But he always wanted more power, didn't he? And ironically, if we take this and apply it to our spiritual lives, we always need more power in our spiritual lives. But... Many of us, in fact, I would say most of us, seldom seem to really want more power in our lives. Now, we might say that we want more power in our lives, but we're not doing the things that bring more spiritual power into our lives. And so we're starting a new series today titled Kingdom Power. And we're going to be walking through the book of 2 Timothy, which is a letter written from Paul, the great church planter, missionary, apostle, pastor, to another pastor that he had sort of brought up into the faith. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But before we get there, I want to talk about the, sort of the subtitle for this series, at least in my mind, is Unleashing the Power of God in Our Lives. Unleashing the Power of God's Kingdom in Our Lives. And I did something, this came back to mind as we were getting ready for this series, I did something this past fall when we did a series titled Life Without Lack, and I encouraged different levels of engagement. And I also encourage you to do what I call a statement of intent. And so we're going to talk about those two things real quickly as we begin this series. I want to encourage you to choose a level of engagement and commit to at least one of these four levels of engagement. A lot of people gave me good feedback about how this really helped them. And there's some psychology behind that, and I think there's some spiritual power behind choosing something and making a statement of intent. 
And so the four levels of engagement that you could choose from would be level one is to commit to attend or to watch online if you can't be here. But if you can possibly be here, be here. Make it to every message. Watch every sermon. Be here four weeks in a row. Some of you, that's like easy. You, you do that over and over and over again. You're here almost every single week. Others, that might be a really good step for you to take, to commit to come to church four weeks in a row. Or if you have to miss it, to watch it online so you stay in the rhythm of what we're learning together. The second level would be do level one, but add to it to read and pray and study through a chapter of 2 Timothy each week. So I'll be preaching from 2 Timothy chapter 1 today. So sometime in the next seven days, you would really set aside a chunk of time, like an hour, and read through that in several translations. Read the study notes. Pray through it. Say, God, what do you want me to get from this? Reflect upon it. Get out a journal. Maybe write down a few key verses or, or write down some thoughts or some observations that come from that process. But do that each week. That would be level two. You will get exponentially more out of this sermon series if you'll commit to level two, to follow the message with a careful, thoughtful, prayerful, reflecting, reflective reading of that scripture sometime later in the week. Then the third level would be to memorize 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, and 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Just memorize those two two-verse passages. A little spoiler alert. Chapter 3, we're probably going to be looking at first, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. But memorize those two passages of Scripture. Drive them deep into your heart. David said, Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And there are powerful things that happen in our lives. Powerful things that happen in our lives when we put God's word into our heart and we have these scriptures at the ready and when Satan tries to come and make us anxious or fearful we rattle off God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind because it's right there or when he's trying to convince us that there's no value in getting his word out we say oh no 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 Satan God's word is powerful all of scripture is breathed by God and is useful for rebuking and teaching and all the other things. I'm still working on that one. I, I had it before, but I'm going to have it by the end of this message series. So memorize those two passages. Maybe add a th another one from each of the other chapters if you really want to go nuts. And then level four would be to have at least one spiritual conversation with at least one person about what you're learning, about what you're hearing from God, about how it's intersecting your life. It could be your spouse, it could be an adult child, it could be a parent, it could be somebody outside your family, it could be somebody at work, it could be another believer, it could be somebody who's far from faith. But I really passionately believe that if you'll do these four things, it will unleash kingdom power in your life through reading and studying, through memorizing, through sharing. And so I want to encourage you to pick one, and then I want to encourage you to do something, and I want you to do it today. If you're listening online or you're listening to this at some point in the future or you're here in the room, I want you to write out a statement of intent. This is a powerful, powerful tool in actually doing what we decide to do. We write out a statement of intent. I taught my boys about a statement of intent last week on the way to church. I noticed that the two wreaths that were on our 
garage lights, the lights on either side of our garage, were still up, and they were still plugged in, and they were still on, and they still had lights on them. And every time I have seen those since January 1st, when we took down our inside lights and turned off our outside lights, I thought, I really need to take those wreaths down. And every day, I forget to do it. And so I said, here's a little life lesson, boys, on a statement of intent. I'm going to tell you right now that when I get home, I am going to take the wreaths down and put them away. And they say, yeah, sure, Dad. Okay. Neat. And you know what I did when I got home? I took the wreaths down and I put them away because I had made a statement of intent. And if you share your statement of intent with somebody else, that's like pouring gas on the fire. It's actually going to happen. Do it. I, I so strongly encourage you to write out your statement of intent and then show it to your neighbor or show it to somebody else if you're sitting by yourself. Show it to somebody on your way out. Share your statement of intent and things will happen. This will unleash kingdom power in your life. Now, there are 50 things that we could focus on that will bring kingdom power into our lives. We're going to look at four over the next four weeks. Your goal, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to find the other 46 by reading God's word on a regular basis. Oh, I think that would bring kingdom power into my life. I've already started doing this in my banding together readings. We're going through Acts, and I'm seeing things that are unleashing kingdom power in the apostles and in the early church, and I'm making note of that. And I'm saying, how could this unleash power in my own life? And interestingly enough, it was the last time through Second Timothy in our Banding Together journals in September and October of this past fall, four different things jumped out at me in this theme of power and how these elements were powerful in the lives of believers and in the world through the lives of those believers jumped out at me. So we're going to look at love today, remembering tomorrow, the word on the third week, and patience on the fourth week. Now, those might not be the top four things that come to mind when you think about getting more kingdom power into your life, but I think there's some sleepers in there that could really bring about some change in your life and unleash kingdom power in your life. And so that's why we're talking about it, and that's why I'm so excited to share this with you. And before we dive in, I know I've said that a couple of times, but there's just some, you got to lay some groundwork in a first sermon of a sermon series, right? And we have to remember, and I'll probably remind you of this each week, that kingdom in the biblical sense, and I've told you this before, but kingdom in the biblical sense is not just a political designation. When we think of a kingdom, we think of a king on a throne, and we think of a political boundary. At least that's what I think of first. But the Greek word basilia that we translate as kingdom has to do with that, but it also has to do with an order of authority. That would be the root, the root definition is an order of authority or a royal dominion or a royal power. That's a translation or that's a, a definition of the Greek word that we translate as kingdom. And so when you're talking about a kingdom, you're talking about royal power kingdom power that is available to us as his subjects. Paul told the church in Corinth that you are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. Now, if I'm an ambassador for the United States in a foreign country, then I represent the, foreign, the, the United States to that foreign country, but I also have the power of the United States in that foreign country. And we are to be ambassadors for Christ out there, in that world, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families. We're to be ambassadors. We're to bring kingdom power into the world through our lives because it's unleashed within us. And so today we're going to talk about how love 
is powerful. We're going to look at a, a fairly substantial chunk of scriptures, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. So if you have one of the blue Bibles that are in the sanctuary, you can turn to page 1852. If you have your own Bible, I would encourage you to open up here and take some notes in the margin, underline, circle some key words that, that you want to come back to, or you can look on the screen behind me. But the context of 2 Timothy is it's the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul was this great missionary, church planter, evangelist, and pastor. And throughout all of his ministry, he had influenced a lot of young lives. One of those was Timothy in the area of Ephesus. He met Timothy, he raised Timothy up, he put Timothy in charge of the church at Ephesus, which was a beacon of light in its region and a very influential Christian center in the early church. And so this is the second of two letters. And it's one of Paul's last letters. Some scholars say it's his last letter, written from prison as he's awaiting execution. And he's writing it to Timothy, who he calls his son in the faith. So Paul was like a spiritual father to Timothy, and Timothy was like a spiritual son to Paul who we don't believe had any children. And so it is perhaps one of his most personal letters and sort of a farewell address. Now, it's written from one pastor to another, but don't dismiss that and say, well, I'm not a pastor, so this doesn't apply to me. Because Peter said, we're all pastors. We are the priesthood of believers. We are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, royal power flows through the royal priesthood. And so you are included in this if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you get to kind of watch back and observe. And I hope you'll lean in and take note, and I hope you'll become a believer in Jesus Christ as a result. The passage that we're looking at here, and really the whole letter, is a bold call for perseverance in the gospel. Because there was suffering, there was persecution that was breaking out at this point. That's why Paul's in prison in Rome. That's why he's awaiting his execution is because it's difficult and there is suffering involved. And so this letter encourages and exhorts Timothy to be faithful. And this passage in particular is subtitled as an encouragement to be faithful. And we see in verse 7 the connection between power and love. And then in the verse 13 as this passage comes to a close we see faith and love combined together. So let's look at the passage. Let's read it together from the New International Version. And uh, then let's kind of pick it apart. We're just going to do a couple verses here initially because these two verses are so powerful. And they're one of the passages that I'm encouraging you to memorize. You could start by just writing it out every day. And by the time you do that, two or three weeks in a row, you'll have it pretty well memorized. And so here's what he says to Timothy. For this reason, he's talking about his prayers and Timothy's faith, when he talks about this reason, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And so he starts by encouraging Timothy to fan into flames. The gift of God that's in him. There's no doubt in Paul's mind that there is a gift of God that is in Timothy. And he, Paul was there and he laid hands on him. And this points us back to a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about laying hands on and commissioning. Paul was there. He felt that power take residence in Timothy's life. And he's saying, fan that into flames. 
And if you've ever seen somebody making a fire, it starts small. And so if you get a big old, you know, fan and you just whoosh, you're going to spread everything all over the place and knock it out. But if you just carefully start it out, get it going, and add a little bit more, and then get it going and add a little bit more, then all it needs is some oxygen and you can get that thing going. And that's why we fan it into flames. And the Holy Spirit is a breath. The Holy Spirit is moving air. The Holy Spirit is movement. And so he's saying lean into the Holy Spirit. Come into the Holy Spirit. Be in step with the Holy Spirit. And fan into flames the gift of God that is in you. And then just keep putting fuel on the fire. Keep putting fuel on the fire. Keep putting fuel on the fire. And then he shifts a little bit. He's saying why we do this. He says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity that draws back, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's the spirit that has come from God. It contrasts timidity or fear. The word that is translated as timidity there in the New International Version is, is a word that really means cowardice in the original language. It's the only time that we find this word in the New Testament is right here. And it means to shrink back instead of boldly stepping forward. It means to cower or to be afraid or to doubt. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, that spirit is not from God. It's from his enemy. His enemy wants us to cower. His enemy wants us to fall back. His enemy wants us to shrink back. But the spirit God gave us wants us to move forward in faith, in power. And to take new ground for the kingdom. And so what was interesting about this is I'm reading this passage. I'm reading this chapter back on September 29th. They had also paired a psalm with it. And the psalm that they had paired with it, because sometimes if the reading is shorter, they add a psalm, was Psalm 117, which is two verses. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. If you're looking to memorize a whole chapter of scripture, Psalm 117 is your friend. You can do this in an hour. But Psalm 117 says in the New Living Translation, which is what I was reading this fall. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. Don't you love that? The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. And so those two merged perfectly in my mind. God has given us a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline. And then we read the psalm, and it says that the, his unfailing love for us is powerful. I titled my journal entry that day, His Love is Powerful. And it's almost as if Psalm 117, verse 2, is the foundation for 2 Timothy 1.7. God's love for us is powerful. He has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Both of those passages, both of those verses feature the key words of power and love. And I think faithfulness and self-discipline go together as well. So there's a connection, a strong connection between the two. And ironically, both of the scripture addresses have the same three digits, a one, a two, and a seven. Psalm 117, verse 2, 2 Timothy 1, 7. Math nerds notice that kind of thing. But I wrote, because God's love is so powerful... The spirit of power and love overcomes the spirit of fear, overcomes the spirit of timidity because his love is in us and his spirit is in us. It helps us to overcome fear and timidity and cowardice. 
And Jesus said to his disciples in Gethsemane, when they fell asleep, he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit God gives us is willing, but our flesh, that is our sinful nature, it's contrary to God's spirit sometimes. It's weak, it's timid, it's afraid. It's into self-preservation. And so it's more likely to draw back or to shrug its shoulders. But Paul is saying to Timothy, the Holy Spirit is in you. And its power and love are at the core of who God is. It's power. It's royal power. And love. Agape love. And that helps us to overcome our fear. And so the first half of our bottom line today, I split this bottom line into two halves because I didn't want to give it to you early and you just write it down and check out. There's more coming, right? Like the infomercial. But wait, there's more. This is good news. God's love is powerful in us. It casts out fear. In fact, John wrote in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. Like God and love are synonymous. And in the very next breath he says, perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. I remember the first time I preached to the church that I was uh, an associate pastor at in Wyoming, and they usually ran about 700 or so in a worship service. It seated about 1,000, uh, and there would be five to 700 people show up. And here I am, 28 years old, and I'm a little nervous to speak. And I remember my senior pastor was there, and he said, how you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm terrified. And he said, go love the people, Mark. Perfect love casts out fear. Go love the people. It was the best advice he could have given me. And I just walked onto that stage and I said, God, I love these people. And I want to serve these people and I want to serve you. And there was no fear. And anytime I get anxious about coming to speak or coming to share, I say, God, help me love the people. And I love you guys. I love this church. I love sharing God's word. And his perfect love casts out fear. And it's not just for pastors, it's for anyone who will lean into that. His love is powerful in us. But Paul's not done. He continues. And so let's look at verse 8. Because the very next thing that he says is, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There's that word again. The power of God is available to us in suffering for the gospel. Now remember, love, as its biblical sense, is agape. That's the love that he's talking about here. If you look it up in the original language, it's agape love. It's the self-sacrificing love. It's the love that surrenders for the sake of another. It's the love that caused Jesus to come out of heaven and to live a perfect sinless life for us and die for us so that we could be with him. It's a love that puts others first. That's the love that we're talking about here. And so Paul is saying, do not be ashamed. <laughs> don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord and don't be ashamed of me as prisoner. Because basically, Timothy is a disciple of an ex-convict or a current convict. Paul has been thrown in prison over and over and over again. He's in prison right now and he's saying, don't be ashamed of Jesus and don't be ashamed of me. Kurt Thompson is a pastor and a psychologist. He's got a PhD in psychology. He's done tremendous work on shame. And he says something interesting about shame. He says, next to love, I believe shame is the most powerful force in the universe, but in the wrong direction. 
Love is the most powerful force in the universe. God is love. God is the most powerful force in the universe. We have an enemy, and the enemy tries to use shame to keep us from walking in love, to keep us from walking in power. And he wrote a whole book called The Soul of Shame, where he traces shame from the fall in Genesis 3 all the way through Scripture and looks at all the ways that shame wreaks havoc in the lives of believers and provides some really practical handles on how to overcome shame and how to walk in faith and how to walk in love. But it's shame that keeps us quiet and shame that moves us away from love, away from a self-sacrificing surrender. So Paul's saying, first and foremost, this, you have the spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of me. But join with me in suffering, in agape love, in self-sacrificing surrender, in suffering for the gospel, the good news, by the power of God. Love suffers. And Paul is saying, join me in loving God. Join me in suffering for God. Join me in loving others. And join me in suffering for others on behalf of others. In the next couple of verses, he gives us the gospel. <laughs> if you want to add another couple of verses to memorize, First Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 would be a great one as well. Because God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That is the gospel, that God has saved us. He has rescued us. It's not on you. It's not on you to accomplish it. It's not on you to keep it. This is the good news that God has saved us, not because of anything we have done in verse 9, but because of his own purpose and grace, because he is love. And he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance and to faith in Christ. And he's wanted this forever. <laughs> Verse 10 says, but now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death. Destroyed it. Not just found a loophole, not just found a way around it. He destroyed it. He abolished it. Death is not something we need to fear anymore. Because it's been destroyed for those who are in Christ. And not only that, he has brought us life and immortality through the gospel. Oh my goodness. Isn't that good news? Isn't that amazing? Don't you want to tell somebody? <laughs> Don't you want to tell everybody? Start with yourself. Tell yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself every day for 30 days and watch the difference it'll make in your life. Read verses 9 and 10 to yourself every day and personalize it and watch the difference it makes in your life. And then he concludes this paragraph that we see by bringing a personal application, a personal testimony, a personal witness. He says, and of this gospel, what I just shared with you, I was appointed a herald. Heralds proclaim something. He was appointed one to herald, to proclaim this good news. And an apostle, an apostle means a sent one, that he would be sent to herald and proclaim this good news. And a teacher. Of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. What was our last series about? About maturing in faith? 
so that we could become teachers, that we would teach others what we have come to know and believe? Paul says, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Amen. Believers, do you know whom you've believed? Do you know him? Do you know him well? Do you spend time with him every day? Like he's the most important relationship in your life? Do you know him or do you just know about him? Do you just know some things about him? Do you have a few facts and figures or do you know him? This was a profound shift in my life and I will confess to you that I made it through seven years of ministry knowing a lot about God and about Jesus and sharing what I knew about him with other people. And there was a shift that took place when I became a dependent upon God in a new way. And I needed to know him, not just know about him. And it unlocked my personal spiritual life because I woke up every day wanting to know him more, to know him better. Not just know about him, but to know him, to do life with him. It's a profound shift. And if you have, if you have experienced that shift, you know what I'm talking about. And you are best equipped to help other people to know him. To not just know about him, but to know him, to really know him. And to share him with other people. Paul said, I know whom I believe. That's why I can write this letter to you from prison. I'm not worried about what is coming. I know whom I believed and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day, whatever day that may be. Are you convinced? Do you know God and are you convinced that he is able, that he is reliable, that he is consistent, that he is dependable, even when circumstances take a turn for the worst? Are you convinced? Do you know who you have believed and are you convinced that he's able, that he's reliable, that he is dependable? I've shared this quote before, but it always comes to mind when I'm thinking about something like this. It's from Alicia Britt Cholet, and she says, if we view God as inconsistent, what we call trust or faith or belief may actually be a half-hearted dependence with a ready backup plan. And I don't know about you, but I know that describes the faith of a lot of people. Because I hear when they come to me as a pastor and they say, but I did this and I did this and I did this and this didn't happen. I believed on this, I prayed for this and it didn't happen. I wanted this and I wanted this and I wanted this and it didn't happen. And they don't believe that God is good whether their circumstances or not. They don't believe that he is reliable and dependable when things don't go the way that they were hoping or were praying. Paul's saying, I don't have a plan B. I know who I've believed, and I'm convinced that he's able. So whether my circumstances improve or not, whether this is the last letter I write or not, I am not afraid. I am not worried. I am not timid. I am moving forward in the power of God. See, Paul has taken fear and shame on head on right here because he knows that Timothy is going to suffer. He knows that Timothy has to develop and cultivate this kind of faith. And we need to develop and cultivate this kind of faith. And we need to share this kind of faith with others. We need to bring it out in others. We need to make disciples that know who they have believed and are convinced that he's able, that aren't playing plan B 
that don't have a ready backup plan. And so he concludes with an exhortation in verse 13. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul is saying, follow good examples. I've lived as one. You can follow my example. I want to be able to write this type of letter to somebody at the end of my ministry. To not have to say, well, except for this part. Or except for this season. I want to be able to say, follow the example. Follow the teaching that you heard from me. We should all want to be able to write that letter to our children or to our grandchildren or to our great-grandchildren. Follow the example that you saw in me. Paul's writing that to Timothy, his son in the faith. And he's exhorting him, guard the good deposit of the gospel in your life and in your teaching. Because Paul trusted God to guard what he had entrusted to him, he exhorts Timothy and he exhorts us to guard the good deposit that God has entrusted to us. God has given us a deposit. The Holy Spirit living in us, empowering us to be ambassadors for Christ in this world. And so as the worship team comes back up to, to lead us, I want to encourage you, you're not alone. You're not alone in this. Paul says right at the end there, Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us, leads us, guides us. The Holy Spirit is that spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-discipline. So here's the second half of the bottom line. God's love is powerful in us and through us. He has the power to cast out fear in our own lives. He has the power to bring us salvation in our own lives. And he has the power to do through us what we could never do on our own. But what desperately needs to happen through our lives, through the people that we interact with, through the people that we connect with, the Holy Spirit in us. Being ambassadors for Christ, bringing the power of God, not just into our lives, but into the world through our lives. God's love is powerful. It's powerful in us and it's powerful through us. Through the Holy Spirit being in us and his love in us and his kingdom power coming into our lives and coming into the world through our lives. Pastor Zach shared about revival. I've seen the, the Facebook posts. I've prayed that this revival that started at Asbury would not stop at Asbury, that it would spread, that as people come in to see what's happening or come in to experience what's taking place, that they'll bring it back. I'm praying for revival here in Sioux Falls. I've been praying for revival in Sioux Falls since I got here. It strikes me that there is a night of worship and commissioning in this church in just a couple of weeks, two weeks from yesterday. There could be revival that would take place through people deciding, I have a personal mission field and I want my church to lay hands on me and commission me to go and to be an ambassador for Christ in that place, in that hospital, in that school, in that neighborhood, in that family, in that ministry here at Linwood. I pray that we fill this place up. I'm not going to stop asking God that we fill this place up, that you invite your friends to come and to watch you be commissioned or to join you in being commissioned. If we put that on and 30 people show up, we'll have it. 
and we'll put hands on and pray for the people that want to be commissioned. But I hope and pray that you will put that on your calendar, that you will write it in pen, and you will make it a priority to be here as part of your church family, and that we'll fill this thing up. And that we'll commission teams, and we'll commission grandparents, and we'll commission teachers, and we'll commission public servants, and we'll commission doctors and nurses, and we'll commission people to go and be the hands and feet of Christ. And what if revival breaks out as a result? What if revival in your own heart takes place as a result? So as always, the altars are open. I haven't said this for a while, but the altars are open. And in the last couple of weeks, different people have shared with me just privately or in small groups, you know, I almost went to the altar, but I pulled back. And I don't know why. If you feel the Spirit of God nudging you to go to an altar, you don't even have to know why. Somebody else shared, be part of their testimony was they went to the altar for somebody else and realized when they got up there that they were there for themselves. And that was the day they became a believer in Jesus Christ. So if you feel the Spirit of God moving you to the altar, get up out of your seat and come to the altar and pray. It could just spark a revival in your own life or in a church or in a community or in this world. Lord knows we need it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the Holy Spirit, the power that is available to us, in us, through us, through your Holy Spirit. And that it is a power that is filled with love. God, help us to love you more. Help us to love ourselves as you love us and help us to love others in this world as you love them. May your love invade us. And be powerful in us and may your love invade this world through us and be powerful in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.